0: Okay, I was speaking with Andy about this, and I'm afraid every time I touch it, something's going to blow up. It does. I'm not going to push the red button. They taught me in movies that if you push the red button, something bad happens. So, this morning, I want to talk about function and dysfunction. Because every family is functional to a point. Not all that function's great, not all that function makes a lot of sense, but every family functions. Now some families have more dysfunction than function, that's true. And as we think about families, what I want you to have in the back of your mind all morning and then even maybe somewhat through the sermon, is that the family in your house, 2641 Thompson Drive, Bowling Green, Kentucky, whatever your address is here in Cookville, is just a, a tiny little part of a bigger family that you have right here that meets in the confines of this location, which is also then a part of an even larger family that meets in locations just like this all across the world the first day of every week. All of our families are reflections of one another, things we've learned, things that we have grown to be, things that we have grown beyond, things that we are not yet and things we aspire to be, but we have no way to get there. There's no one's taught us, no one's shown us, or no one has simply just opened the door and said, this is where your family needs to be. So when we think about these three big things that are attacking our families today, I want you to know that deep down, I believe they're more internal than external, I I teach teenagers every single day of my life because if I'm not at school, I work with the young people at Three Forks and I have a daughter who just turned 13. And I am surrounded by sarcasm and eye movements. Do you have a teenage daughter that has eyes that speak volumes? I'm surrounded by young people who every day show me they have such amazing potential, yet they're not quite unpacking that potential yet. It's all wrapped up with Amazon tape. And as you're trying to open it and cut through it, because you know there's a package inside of that that is truly going to benefit you, you get that package that is, it's like Jackie Chan bubble wrapped it. And he took extra care And he says, I'm not going to let anything happen to it. And you just think, how many layers of bubble wrap? How many pieces of tape? How many boxes inside of boxes do I have to open to get the potential of that child to come out? Families are a lot like that. Within every family, no matter how it's defined, if it's very much a nuclear family of mom, dad, two and a half kids, one and a half dogs, and three bedrooms... Or if it's a non-nuclear family, it's grandparents, it's uncles and aunts, it, it's one parent at home, it's a product of divorce or it's a product of abuse or it's a product of, of adoption or fostering, no matter what the family looks like, all of them have potential to be what it is they are supposed to be because they are made up of people who with inside of each and every one of them is the potential to be what it is God made you to be, not with your creation, but what it is he remade you to be as a Christian. We all have that. Finding that within inside of us is very hard. That's why coaches like me get gray hair, because you see a talented young man who, if he would just see the field, if he would just understand the game, if he could leave his little area of what he knows, and he could take like a bird's eye view. You understand then. He's not just a player on the field. He is the player on the field. There's a young man on my team. His name is Logan Nix. And I don't mind telling you that the conversation I had with him a week ago was I need you to be a planet. He looked at me and he kind of said, what? I said, I need everyone on the field to revolve around you. I said, I need your gravitational force of wise decision-making Your voice that is louder than anyone else on the field. I need you to be the extension of me there. And I said, when that happens, we're hanging banners on the wall in our gym. Families are the same, yet the gravitational force we should be centering around is God, his word, what he's taught us to be. He is the planet that we revolve around that pulls us closer to unlock our potential. So how do we talk about a functional family? Well, we look at the dysfunction and ask, how do we fix it? And we have a real honest conversation about where does that dysfunction come from. Because I can tell you, and I know this to be certain, because I'm surrounded by people every day who blame someone else for their mistakes. Most mistakes, you don't own them like you should. Most mistakes, you would rather blame whoever tempted you, whoever brought the temptation into your life, whoever showed you that that temptation could have some value to them, you'll want to blame them when what you need to do is look in the mirror and realize the blame sits on me. So three ideas I hope helps you avoid the dysfunction that seems to be so unavoidable in 2023. So I'm going to stay away from the red button. I'm afraid Andy of what the red button might do. Let's try a green button. Let's start with the first one. The first real problem facing families in this world is the untransformed life of people inside of it. Now, we're going to look at a very, I don't even know what to call it. I don't know if Bible verses are famous, I think Bible verses are well known. There's a lot of you in here that can quote, if not every single word, the idea of Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we're going to look at that in just a minute. But what I want you to consider is the fact that too many of our families are not transformed. They don't look like families that are unique. They look like any family you could find anywhere else. They're postcards. They're that model nuclear family that was championed throughout the 1960s. And it's evolved a little bit. You all know that to be true. But with our churches, most of our families still look very similar to that. The problem I find with a lot of them is we talk a really good game about our family is different. We don't do what everyone else does. We don't say what everyone else says. We don't treat each other like everyone else does. And then when the door is shut and no one else sees what's going on in our family, we're just like all the rest of them. Let me ask you if any of you can relate to a Sunday morning that sometimes happens at my home. We stay up a little too late on Saturday because Saturday's that day everyone has off unless it's volleyball season for my daughter, soccer season for my son, there's a youth trip for me, my wife's got some kind of thing going on with the ladies at church. So on those Saturdays that we don't have anything going on, do you know what we do? We plan like 25 things. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then we run from morning to evening in there. There'll be a stop at Hobby Lobby. There'll be a stop at Target. There'll be a stop at a restaurant where four of us are happy about it, but one is complaining. Yep. Because as much as everyone likes Cane's, my oldest daughter really just prefers Zaxby's. And she's not afraid to tell us Saxby's is so much better, as I'm just trying to enjoy that piece of heavenly manna that they make at Cane's. Okay? Throughout the afternoon, there'll be a, a give and take Oh, Molly needs new volleyball shoes. Max needs new goalie gloves. You know what dad needs? Dad Dad needs a new belt. I haven't bought a new belt in five and a half years. Let's go get a new belt. Molly's like, what's wrong with your belt, dad? There's nothing wrong with it. And she's commenting on the fact, well, if you just lost a little weight, the belt would fit better. This is our day. Five o'clock rolls around. One of the kids, the wife, the husband has a great idea. Let's go home. Let's fix homemade pizza. Let's sit around the... uh, fireplace, let's watch a movie. And then Maggie, the youngest, will say, Daddy, I really want to watch Bluey. You know who doesn't want to watch Bluey? The rest of us. Because Bluey's cool and everything, but it just gets old after the fifth episode. Anybody ringing bells? Okay. You get to about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, the mom will say, you know what, it's time to go brush your teeth and take your shower, and the kids will sit there because your son has already started playing with his cousin, some kind of 2K or something on his switch. Your daughter has retreated to her room because she's 13 and she has to be angsty at least five minutes a day or she didn't really exist. So she retreats to her room and she's like, I don't want to talk about it. Your youngest daughter is just bouncing into the house and she says, Dad, I've got a rat's nest in my hair and I don't know where it comes from. Your wife looks at you and she says, Are you going to get up and do anything? And you say, it's the first time I sat in my chair all day. Can I have 10 minutes in my chair? Eight minutes in, you know your eyes are falling asleep and you're tired because you're like, man, I drove 35 miles in a circle today. And then it becomes 10 o'clock, not one of the kids are in bed, you're thinking, oh wait, did I do the bulletin yet for tomorrow morning? And you run up and you realize that at 1230, you got in bed. No wonder you wake up on Sunday morning at 7 o'clock, tired, a little cranky, and not really excited about going to Bible class. Anybody else ever have a day like that? All right, if you don't raise your hand, we know who the liars are. You might not have had that day recently. And you might not have that exact day you have had a day like that. I've had days like that. Life becomes dysfunctional. And you know what we do? We come in Sunday morning and we're all in our matching shirts and whatever and we roll in and we're just like, we are so different than everyone else. And we're not. We're not. And the biggest lie too many families make is not being honest with the fact that they're not as different as they should be. They should be different. And I understand being different is hard. No one really wants to be different. I'm around teenagers every day. You know what the first thing they line up to say is they want to be? I'd like to stick out, Mr. Mathis. Not a one of them has ever said it. Not a one of them has ever meant it. So how do our families put into practice something That draws us closer to God, not further from God. Because when we don't live transformed lives, there's something unique about this. There's an imbalance. Because daily we intend to be godly, but daily our appearance is worldly. And as we're trying and trying and trying to be godly, we're also trying to be just worldly enough that no one thinks we're weird. So how do we compare that to Romans How how do we not compare? How how do we rationalize that with these verses? Be transformed. Do not be conformed to the world. When I teach this verse to young people, I often talk about Plato. All of us have played with Plato if you're under the age of 40. You know how Plato, you can form it around a shape and so that Plato will look like whatever it is you're forming it around. That's the opposite of what God wants you to look like. He does not want you to form yourself to the shape of the world. He wants your lump of uh, Play-Doh to look weird and different and unlike anyone else's. And he will then, as the potter, turn that clay into something that's made in his image, not the world's image. Do not be conformed to the world. Do not look like them. Do not sound like them. Yeah, you don't have to be an alien with an, uh, an eye in the middle of your forehead to be different. But your heart has to be turned in a different direction. Your mind has to be focused on different things. And your choices have to be hard choices that other people will not make and cannot make. This last year, we had to make a very difficult decision with my son. He is a very good soccer player. He is one of the best 30 soccer players born in 2013 in Bowling Green, Kentucky. He plays on a travel team with the Southern Kentucky Soccer Association, I get to be his coach. We had to make a very difficult decision last year because there were four games played on Sunday mornings. He's the starting goalkeeper. The decision we made was he can't play. He can't play. We're going to be at Bible class. We're going to be at worship. And we did two of those four Sundays, travel to the town where they were playing, go to church there in that community, and arrive for the afternoon games. But it's a really difficult decision to have that. And I want to give credit to a man named Steve Henson. He is the director of coaching at Sky. And Max and I were not going to be a part of the academy anymore this year. And I went to him and I said, here's our problem, Coach Steve. Sundays, Sunday morning before noon is non-negotiable. Just, just, there, there, there's, there's nothing you can do. You can't pay me more. You can't offer him a scholarship when he's 10 years old, which, by the way, moms and dads, no one's getting but I said, he's going to Bible class and worship. I said, it, it is an ungetoverable, non-negotiable thing of our family. And I said, he may be the only one on the team, and that's fine. If he has to run extra, he can run extra. If you want to dock 25% of my pay, you can dock 25% of my pay. It's not going to happen. And if he plays next year and you want me to be head coach, I won't be there Sunday mornings to head coach that team. I want to tell you why being different matters coach Steve looked at me and he said, Neil, you should not have to choose. You're more important to us. Max is more important to us than the four Sunday morning games he'll miss. Take a stand and stand on righteousness. And you might be surprised when the world doesn't destroy you or try to knock you off of it. Now that's our personal experience. And you may not get that experience. You might not have a Steve Henson in your life who says, Neil, I understand. You might not have an assistant coach who says, I'll be there Sunday mornings to cover. You might not have that. But my friends, let me ask you, have you asked? Have you drawn a line in a sand that's non-negotiable and said, we are going to be transformed? Because if you haven't, you don't know if your transformation will actually make a difference in anyone else's life. Now, I don't think for one minute the, the Southern Kentucky Soccer Association is suddenly going to change all of its rules. But I do know one thing. Neil and Max Mathis do not have to play Sunday morning soccer games and can be a part of that program. So now every time one of my kids at FCA makes a travel team at Sky, do you know what I tell them? This is acceptable. Do you know what I, I tell every one of the players on my team, we will not schedule a game on Sunday morning unless someone else schedules it for us and we can't get out of it. We picked up three players this year whose fathers are either local ministers or or a a, a couple of them at a Church of Christ, a couple at another church, and they said one of the reasons we joined is because when we asked, we talked about Sundays. And Coach Steve said, Neil's team won't be doing that. I am in no way, shape, or form hoping that you take that as me bragging. I want to give you that as a challenge A lot of our young people play AAU sports. A lot of our young people at 10 are told, you have to travel, you can't make the middle school team. Okay, you don't have to compromise Sunday mornings to be on that team. And if you do, be transformed and say, you know what, something's more important than that team. And I'm just going to throw this out there, moms and dads. If your child does not get a scholarship to college, God will provide a way for them still to go. Stop letting that be the determining factor. Send them where God will bless them and use them the most, because that's the most important transformation that matters in college. Not record books, not fans, that they are not conformed to the world. I would tell you that we should also think about Matthew 6 and verse 24. If we're going to be transformed, then we can't look like everyone else, because you cannot serve two masters. Now, these are the words of Jesus Christ, and we call these the red-letter words, And while I get it that not everyone likes the words of the Apostle Paul, not everyone likes the words of the Apostle Peter, whoever wrote Hebrews, some people are like, you know, I don't like those words. But these are the words of Christ. You cannot, you will not, you will not serve two masters and serve them equally. You will pick one over the other, always. Some people ask me, who's my favorite child? Sometimes. And I say, well, none of them. Who's your least favorite child? All of them. Give that a minute, it'll sink in. But I'm happy to tell you, my favorite woman in the world is Ashley Cottingham Mathis. There's no one in the world like her. And all of your wives are awesome. My wife is better. All of your wives are beautiful. My wife is more beautiful. All of your wives are the Angels, God sent you. You know what I mean by that, I hope. Well, mine was an archangel. I'm not going to serve two masters in this world when it comes to my devotion. She's mine. I'm hers. No one else compares. Can we say that about our relationship with God? He's mine. I'm his. Nothing else compares. Not my time. Not my devotion, not my loyalty. Nothing else compares. Families have to be transformed. The biggest dysfunction is trying to be transformed when you're not. Telling the world you are, but you're not. The untransformed family just looks like everyone else. Second, chasing the idols. Biggest dysfunction in the history of this world is idolatry. Because we were made in God's image, and Adam and Eve knew nothing but God as their creator. Even through some of the earliest things, think about Cain and Abel. Cain was not a great guy, yet he offered sacrifices to God. And you get at some point where we began to chase the image of God, not honor the reality of God. You see, in a world with limitless possibilities... When you can, every single day, find yourself doing just about anything you want, that everything can be provided, and, and the reality is, is you're only limited by your desire to go get, in a world of endless possibilities, would saying no to something every now and then be that bad of an idea? You say no all the time. Your children, dad, can we go to Disney World? No. Your wife, she take the trash out? No. Still, not enough Last, i got to wake you all up a little bit. No, 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 no. You'll say no to people in your family all day long. Why is it we have a hard time saying no to other things? Well, you're going to get this awesome job promotion. You have to work ninety-six hours a week. It sounds like a great idea. Your child plays on three travel teams, but you know what? This fourth one in Nashville will get them a notice by for five more minutes of a college coach in Georgia. Okay, let's go. We're not doing anything on Tuesday between the hours of eight and twelve, anyways. Let's go. Why do we? Not, why do we struggle to say no? There's a really good book, uh, uh, and I've I've had it on my shelf, and I've read parts of it, and it talks about the elimination of hurry. We're always hurrying, busy, going everywhere. Why? Because we think that matters. Sometimes I'm afraid when that matters too much, it's become an idol. Do you all have calendars on your refrigerators? Somewhere in your house, do you all have calendars? Do you color code your calendar? Red is Max, blue is Molly, pink is Neil. So you can know where you got to be and what you got to do. All right, some of the moms are like, no, but that's a good idea. Yeah, I got it from HGTV. Okay? It's like the mecca of moms and things they wish they were doing. Okay? So you put that up there, right? There's a weekend this fall. My family, I will be in Louisville with the soccer team from FCA playing in a state tournament. My son has a tournament in Evansville, Indiana. My daughter, who is the setter for the JV volleyball team as an eighth grader, be impressed because you should be, she's awesome, has a tournament in the Pikeville area of Kentucky. Do anyone know their geography of Kentucky? Realize that I have five members of my family and we need to be three places that are the equivalent of like seven hours apart from each other on the same day. Because we don't say no, like we should. This is what we do, okay? And I want to ask the question, in the grand scheme of things, in our relentless drive to fill our calendars and be busy, do those things actually make an eternal difference like we hope they will? Maybe. What if what they're really doing is just kind of getting in the way of the things that really do make an eternal difference? A few verses to think about. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. As Paul is writing to Rome, he's talking about their idolatry. And and I want to point out some things to you. Although they knew God, they knew who he was, what did they do? They changed the image of God into something that was more tolerable. And they became fools. Because the incorruptible God was turned in the image of a man. Idols are anything, are you ready for this? Anything that takes your focus off of God. A job, a sport, a hobby, a family member, a house, the yard, it's got to look nice after all. Anything can be an idol. We, we think we're not idolaters because we don't make little wooden statues and bow down to them and burn incense to them. My friends, if an idol causes you to miss something that has an inter- eternal impact on your soul, it can be a basketball game. It can be a movie night. It can be a vacation to Disney. Sometimes we're too busy chasing idols and we don't even realize it. I had to point out also in Habakkuk 2, verses 18 and 19, God says what prophet is there in that image? What, 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 what image, what totem, what thing in this world made you, creates you, sustains you? I love the idea here. Woe to him who says to the idol, Get up! Help me! I picture Mount Carmel there. And all those prophets of Baal, what were they doing? They were screaming, they were dancing, they were cutting themselves, and all Elijah said, you know, maybe he's just kind of busy. <laughs> maybe he doesn't have time for you. What happens when everything you pour your soul into that's not God suddenly doesn't have time for you when you need them like you need God? Well, they're not going to be there. They're not going to save you. They're not going to comfort you. They're not going to provide something for you that nothing else provides. They're just empty, worthless idols because, my friends, it's dysfunctional to chase anything in this world but God. Chase Him like you chase that college scholarship. Chase Him like you do that promotion at work. Chase Him like you do the remodel on your house. Chase Him like you do that car that you've been saving up penny after penny for years and years and years and years. Chase him like you do that spot on that team. Chase him like you do that applause from your coworkers or people at church. Chase him instead of the idols. And your life in eternity will be more rewarding than it will if you chase idols. Those idols have no impact on your eternity in the positive side. But they can drag you down in all of their negativity, when you chase them instead of God. Families, chase God. Chase Him with every bit of your might in your household, amongst your children, amongst your friends, in your neighborhood, in the choices you make, in the life that you reflect. Chase Him like you chase the things of this world and you will be transformed. You won't look like everyone else and you won't sound like everyone else because you are not everyone else. Finally, biggest dysfunction that I think is attacking the church is how comparison is catastrophic. Now, I just want to show of hands. You ready for this? Show of hands. Any lady in here over the age of, let's do 13, if you have a Pinterest account with more than one board on it please raise your hand raise them high we want to see them high enough to see them high enough come on keep going high enough let's go if you have like four or five that's okay maybe you should have both hands up okay all right that's fine okay guys let's 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 think what would be the guy oh i got it guys guys how many guys in here have more than one hammer in their house? Raise your hand. More than one. All right. Now, have more than one saw? Keep your hands up. Mo- more than one screwdriver. More than yeah. Keep going. Yeah. All right. Very good. Right. Same idea, guys. Okay. Okay. Same idea. Now, I'm not even talking about having like a, a Phillips and a flat. You know what I mean by this? I think I have like seven Phillips screwdrivers and one flat in my house right now. For some reason, everyone always buys me Phillips. I guess they think I just need a Phillips screwdriver. Comparison has been called the thief of joy because you know what comparing does? Comparing inherently devalues what you already have. It always does. And and, and I know that we're going to say, now that's not true, preacher. I'm super happy with what I got. Why? Well, because it's better than what I used to have. Okay, there you go. You got it? Okay. It wasn't that long ago I was uh, talking to some of my uh, seniors from last year. And we had a, um, we, do, we do dual credit at um, FCA. And our Bible classes are dual credit through York College, or York University. And so I'm allowed to teach, you know, like college level theology classes. And our students get credit for that. They take it with them wherever they go. And we spent a week on the family in a class that was all about philosophy and thought and And I said, let's spend just one day. And I said, I want you to describe the stages of your family. And they were like, what do you mean? I said, okay, so start with where it begins. Start with what it grows to. And I said, I want you to describe every characteristic along the way. (coughs) Well, the guys would often talk about, you know, accomplishments, you know, we're going to get married, and we're going to start our careers, we're going to have children, and then we're going to retire. And, you know, I noticed that the girls often talked about, and I mean, no offense, but incremental growth. We're going to start in a beginner home, and we're going to outgrow the beginner home, and we're going to get a bigger home. And then when we live in that medium-sized home, we're going to draw up the plans for our dream home. And then we move into our dream home. One day we're going to pass it off to our children or we're going to sell it and we're going to retire into an RV that has just enough space for us to keep our grandchildren with us. And I just noticed a pattern of, well, why wasn't the first home you bought good enough? What about the second home and the third home? And some of them say, well, it's not big enough for all six of my kids. And I said, okay, gotcha. Have one and then let's talk about the other five. But I'd noticed and I asked him, I said, I, I just asked him the Pinterest question. And I said, how many of you have a Pinterest board as 17-year-old girls about your wedding? Hands up. How many of you girls, 17, 18 years old, have a Pinterest board about your future home? Hands up. How many of you already have a Pinterest board about what the nursery is going to look like for your children? And one girl went, boy and girl. <laughs> I was like, okay, I gotcha. I understand. You've been conditioned to compare your life to everyone else's, my friends. The world has done it to you. Did you know that you get an endorphin rush every time your phone buzzes and says, like, that the people who built social media built it so you would be addicted to comparing yourself to everyone else? I heard that bell, but I'm not done. Can I go for a minute or two and y'all won't complain too much? Okay. All right. Comparison leads to catastrophe. Absolute catastrophe. Catastrophe. When all you're doing is comparing yourself to someone else, my friends, you're never going to be content. You're never going to be happy with what God has done for you. Your family will never be good enough. Your house will never be good enough. Your job will never be good enough. God will never be good enough. And you will always say what God is going to give me more. And you will seek and chase after the God that gives you more than the one who's the giver of everything because you're not getting what someone else got. And I can't figure this out My wife and I both teach at a Christian school. I'm a minister, and it feels like we took a voluntary vow of poverty. And every month, because this is who she is, she says, are we going to have enough to pay the bills this month? And I say, Ashley, yes, of course we are. Every month the bills are paid. Every month we're able to put a little bit of money back into savings. Every month we're okay. Are there some months it's a little less? And I say, you know what would be really nice if God's blessing was we didn't have to worry about that. But you know what? We don't have to worry about our child being sick. We don't have to worry about where the food's coming from. We don't have to worry about the threat of war the next county over. I said, I'd rather worry about if I have enough money to pay for my cable bill than worry about my child being sick. Let's stop comparing what we have to everyone else. It steals your joy. And the reason we chase idols and the reason we are not different than everyone else is because of this right here. And it is destroying us internally. We do this with churches also. Churches have perfectly great buildings, but you've got to build a new one. Perfectly great ministers, but you know what? Theirs is fancier and shinier. Perfectly good programs that if you would support it are great, but you're too busy comparing it to everyone else's program and saying, why are we not like them instead of saying, what's so great about us? Because the church is a microcosm of families and families is a microcosm of everything else. Some verses to end with. Exodus 20 and verse 7. Do not covet... Anything that belongs to anyone else. Because the minute you do, you no longer value what God gave you. Think about Luke 12 and verse 15. Take heed, beware of covetousness, Jesus says. Why? For one's life does not consist of the abundance of things they possess. No offense to Pinterest. But that verse does a pretty good job of telling us why it's just a little dangerous every now and then to get lost down the rabbit hole of that wonderful place where you can decide between do I want yellow sheets or sunflower sheets or berry lemon sheets. To me, they just all look like the same color of yellow. But I know you know there's a difference. I want to end with a simple thought to you. Respond to these or just resign to the fact that your family's not different. Now, I don't think any of you are happy to resign today to the fact that we're just like everyone else. So respond to these and become intentional. We will live transformed lives as individuals, which creates a transformed family. We will not compare. We will be content. And we will stop chasing idols and we will chase God. Because, my friends, Joshua 24 and verse 15, one of these verses that we all know you have to choose today who you'll serve. And if you cannot stand as Joshua stand and say, me and my house will serve the Lord, then you're just like everyone else. The dysfunction does not come from outside. The dysfunction comes internally. Stop blaming the world for your family's problems. Step up, be a man, be a woman, and own it. That is the step to fixing it. That, my friends, is the key to having a functional family. Not a perfect one, but a functional one. One that will send you and your children to heaven one day if form follows function. Isn't that what we all want? It isn't that what we all pray for. So now, roll up our sleeves and work for it. And look internally before you blame anyone else for the problems you've created. I I'm so very thankful to get to be here with you today. And I want to issue this not as an indictment, but as a challenge. When I made this lesson, I came to my wife and I said, we've got to do better. So I will not ask you to do something that we do not do. And I'm going to pray for you, and I ask that you pray for me, because I have three souls that are made in my image that I want to die in God's image. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that happens purposefully. So, thank you, and do I need to say a prayer to dismiss, or is it just okay? I'm going to say a really short prayer, and then we'll dismiss. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this day and the opportunity we have to be with one another. We pray that you bless our families and our lives, and that we will be the people that you are proud of, and we will truly be, in this world, something that is unique and different. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.